1: Joining me in the following presentation is my co-host, Dr. Robert Schmidt. Rob is the director of Taya Meditation Center and founder with myself and Jim Wilson of Many Rivers Books and Tea in Sebastopol, California. This week on the show, we feature a pre-recorded conversation with Hokai Diego Sobel, in which we discuss the function of spiritual teaching and how this function is impacted when the primary means of communication is an electronic format, such as Zoom. Among other topics, we also discussed the nature of the vertical dimension and how access to this dimension corresponds with the alignment both physically and energetically of the body, heart, and mental centers of the human organism. Hokai Diego Sobol started practice and study of Buddhism in 1985. After 10 years of exploring Buddhist thought and practicing martial arts, while broadly learning from sources Eastern and Western, mainstream and fringe, Hokai became a practitioner, and eventually instructor in the Shingon esoteric tradition of Japanese Vajrayana, under the private tutelage of Ajari Jomyo Tanaka. Hokai founded the Mandala Society in Croatia in 1999. Continuing to explore and cultivate his Buddhist practice, Hokai maintains an ongoing conversation with a number of teachers and senior practitioners. Starting from 2012, he focuses on mentoring individuals to deepen their practice in the context of their lives those who pray, learn to meditate, and those who meditate, learn to pray. Hokai's area of special interests include mystical principles and esoteric practices in daily life, sacred apprenticeship, and deep semiotics. He's based in Rijeka, Croatia. Hokai Diego Sobel, welcome back to the Mystical Positivist.
2: Welcome, Stuart. Welcome, Rob. Good to see you guys again. Good to be with you,
3: and uh, because um, uh, we haven't talked with you in a while, um, I will begin by asking you how things are with you, your family, et cetera, pandemic-wise. That's a, that's a topic we certainly didn't have occasion to discuss last time, but also what you've been up to in the past
2: year and a half, I yeah, think about, it's been it's about a year since half. we spoke to you. Oh, it's been that much, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was worrying that having me once was one time too many.
1: <laughs>
2: no, no, we try we we try to be
3: spare, use use good things sparingly. That's that's the <laughs> okay. philosophy.
2: Okay. We're in there, right? <laughs> okay, so yeah, the situation here is um a little bit European. Hmm. I guess so it's difficult to tell depending on which country you're um you're considering. Um uh, but I think it's similar in states with you know with the difference between different states.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So here we uh we went into full lockdown uh, on I think March twentieth, something like that, for mm-hmm. thirty days. So everyone was quarantined. Um mm-hmm. healthy or not. The uh the borders were closed. Mm-hmm. The most businesses shut except the so called essential ones as if they're there are businesses that are not essential (laughs) to living. And we also had, you know, most of people who were forced to stop working uh, on basically government pay Mm. for a month. Uh, Actually, it was a three month period because we expected that after the one month lockdown was over that most businesses couldn't just go back to normal in no time, right? So, um, given that we are extremely close to Italy it's a 35, 40-minute drive for me to cross border to Italy. We mm-hmm. were freaked out uh, when yeah. things started, you know,
0: yeah. developing
2: very quickly in northern Italy. And however, we had only a few cases when we only a few confirmed cases. Mm. Um, who God knows how many unconfirmed ones, right? Right. Uh, we had a few confirmed cases when we went into lockdown. So that now uh, we are almost back to normal what some people call the new normal and uh the coffee bars are working again mm, okay. um you know the people are normally moving around everyone's working and uh the what they call it the balance after these two or three months is that on far four million population we have just over two thousand cases which is not much and only 97 deaths so it's consoling that we pulled out with relatively little um, health harm, but with a huge economic uh, hit, as everyone yeah. else probably. Yeah, yeah. So you know, we we don't know yet how the situation will develop over over the summer because we're opening up for tourism and people mm-hmm. will be coming in from all sorts of places. And that and that's and because
3: Croatia, the Croatian economy is so. Uh,
2: tied to tourism, right? Oh, heavily dependent. Yeah, he- heavily dependent. It's over over twenty percent, and that's just the official numbers. Mm. Uh, so we have to do that. And uh, but also we don't know about the summer. You know, does it affect? Uh, does it affect the, the 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 pandemic, the temperatures and all that?
0: Mm. Right.
2: We we don't know exactly, right? And we also don't know about the uh, September October. Maybe there's a you know return of virus. If it's not exhausted by then, who knows? Mm-hmm. So we're still on the lookout. Got personally, it. personally, mm-hmm. I've been enjoying my quarantine. <laughs> and, you know, because I mostly do online mentoring, uh, I've been working as, as always. And yeah. uh, mm-hmm. my wife also worked from home. Uh, so we had a... I mean, she, I was-
3: she worked from home before the pandemic?
2: Uh, not completely. She worked fifty fifty. But ah, now she works, you know, ninety ten. She would go into yeah. town once a week or so. We had special we had special permits for those who needed to, you know. Ah, I see. Yeah, to, to, to go into traffic. So anyway, uh it was a good period and uh, from what I talked to people around me, most people discovered they could use more time with family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but some people you know, some people took it uh, with more difficulty, uh, feeling a little bit uh, shut in and nervous, especially with many little kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something yeah. like that. So I've been also up to starting trying to start to write, but now it's just uh, mostly uh, personal gibberish notes that uh, I wouldn't dare show anyone.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> but hopefully, I can I can start. You know. Yeah. D- developing my my own style of writing and maybe start producing uh, more regularly than I used to in the past
3: yeah Got so that, it. well so uh, well, let me just uh, inquire about that last point uh, Do you have a particular project as a goal to get to as you uh, develop
2: oh, well actually what, what, what what pushed me into writing was that uh, a student of mine and a, by now a friend um, has started work on a book he's a he's an american guy from minneapolis mm-hmm. he started working on a book about our five years together oh. uh about about his own practice and also mm-hmm. about his you know his life before that hmm. um and you know how and especially focusing on how the the teaching process works when we never meet in person um which is a peculiarly you know contemporary theme uh, slowly emerging it's an early experiment of sorts yeah and um he invited me to basically write parts or uh sections that he would then fit into different parts of the book and we started working on it together but in order to be useful i had to go back to writing myself which i haven't done for quite a few years
0: Hmm. okay
2: very interesting
3: so is it uh, um is the well let, let me just ask are the are the parts that you are in the process of writing uh, yeah. with with your friend and colleague. Um, mm-hmm. uh, are they? Would you would you call them more sort of laying out the teaching or laying out or describing your experience as as a teacher, uh, your personal on the personal end of things, or at a mix of both, or something else?
2: Yeah. Well, I I will I will leave it to him to talk about the practices and teaching as they. Okay you know, as they refracture through his own experience, right? Mm-hmm. And I would focus on the actual process of mentoring someone. Ah, okay. um, so oh. not, not, not so much about the either conceptual or the practical instruction part, as much about the relationship
3: yeah. Yeah.
2: between two people where, uh, as some, someone else said, uh, attention tends to flow in one direction. Where you know where uh, you are there to facilitate for someone and guide them and maybe give them a push or a pat on the back or a hug or a slap whatever (laughs) happens to be (laughs) called
3: for. (laughs) Well, this this is very intriguing to me because, of course, uh, my own experience uh, in being mentored by my teacher was was incredibly personal in the physical way that Stuart and I are sitting, t- sitting next to each other in front of a microphone right now. And, and as you point out, um, I'm, I mean, I think, I think it's good timing on your, your student uh, friend's part to good write a timing, book yeah, about, yeah. about uh, this sort of interaction because that's mostly all that a lot of people can do right now is this remote, this remote interaction through the medium that we're using <clears throat> at the moment. So, so could you talk a little bit about that in general? You know, I don't want you to get into specifics with this particular uh, person, but yeah. uh, of course, but, um, but I'm wondering if you can, you can reflect on number one, you've been, you, as you pointed out, you've been doing this for a while with people remote from you, I believe
2: uh, 50, geographically eight remote eight years now. Yeah.
3: Yeah. So, um, and now, uh, you know, wh- this is a the theme that we've been discussing with other teachers in the United States um, recently about how, oops, no more, no more personal meetings and, and, and how does that happen? There are definite changes, pluses and minuses. So I'm wondering, you, since you have this interesting perspective on this, I'm wondering
2: if you have some thoughts about it. <laughs> I'm a little schizophrenic when it comes to it because, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, uh, I like to call it a trigger-happy pacifist. Uh, <laughs> well, that, that, that expresses uh, schizophrenia pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, you know, an inconsistent ludite, something like that. So, <laughs> so uh, I'm actually enjoying it, the, the role of technology. Um, mm in all of this but there are definite uh downsides to it um i when i was on the receiving end of of, of learning uh and you know receiving teachings instruction um it was always in person right yeah, so right uh, and as you say uh it was if not physical then it was at least intimate and um very often with my japanese teacher it was one-on-one um, either in a, you know, in a, in a place where we went for a retreat or in my own home where we would feel at ease and, and, and feel free to, um, you know, be very private and very, very casual uh, Mm -hmm. about everything. This is a very different situation where it's one thing if you meet someone and then you continue online, or if you meet someone online and then you meet in person, spend some time together, socializing, you know, maybe going for a, or a meal or drinks and just becoming more, more acquainted to each other, get a feel mm-hmm. of each other, so to speak, which you, which you can only do in person.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Or it's a very different game if you never actually meet the person, which is the case with this particular uh, friend. I'm working on his book right now. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So we, we never met. And, and that's one of the reasons why we, we find it so uh, interesting. And we will meet quite soon, probably, <laughs> but it so happened that we didn't meet so far. Mm-hmm. And it's, it it has its own advantages, of course. You know, you can be more flexible with timing. There is okay. no, you know, no traveling expenses uh, involved, no, you know, no, no arrangements, no logistics, nothing like that. You can do it from your own home. Um, you can do it in different time zones. You can do it weekly, you can do it monthly, it's extremely, extremely flexible. And the technology is good enough for having a solid uh, video um, impression of the person. And, you know, and having audio uh, quality good enough to get a hint of, you know, some, you know, shifts in pitch or tone that may be important to to get across a specific meaning right mm-hmm. um, but it does have uh, a blind spot because so much of the things we transmit to each other is about micro expression both both physically which is absent in a screen like wow. now,
3: well and, well yeah I mean you what you're just just for our listeners sake I'll, I'll we're using zoom at the moment and we can yeah. see uh, you know Hokkaido's uh, face and his shoulders right
1: yeah, but we can't
3: see we can't see the rest of his body and 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 that's what you're referring to here, yeah, in I addition could, I, to the
2: I, facial exactly facial. I, I, I could move back back further, but then I would
1: have to yell, right <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah it, it, what's interesting in the way you're describing that, it suggests that a strong modality in the teaching relationship, even when you're face to face with someone, is the subtle understanding and reflection of emotional states when i worked with my teacher uh what i found part of that whole process of like living with the teacher was Mm -hmm. that the moments where i was unconscious were the the moments that had the opportunity for the greatest uh transmission because I would be shocked out of my unconsciousness on a yes. uncomfortable and regular basis, sometimes lightly, sometimes uh, more severely. But that required a kind of ongoing presence. And the, yes. the challenge I see with social media in general, uh, Zoom being kind of a special case of that, is that because it's a very special, isolated uh, moment of exchange, mm-hmm. just like with Facebook, we tend to bring our best face forward. And so they, that ability to be caught um, unaware seems to be more challenging in this kind of uh, uh, medium. It's, it's, it's diminished, definitely. The the opportunity to you know to be
2: surprised is, is, is diminished. And that's a good way to summarize it. By the way, I like that. Yeah, there's there's also the uh, not just to surprise someone but to be surprised as well it's, it's mm. in in this sense it's a two-way it's a two-way process right and there's there's a specific sensitivity that we don't use online um there is in in one way you're always you know the, the camera is always looking at you which which another person's eyes will sell them to uh mm. if if you have someone constantly looking at you it's usually a sign of something being off (laughs) with (laughs) there's something wrong with them or they they're signaling there's something wrong with you if they're looking constantly right Mm -hmm. but the camera is looking constantly and you know you're being watched constantly so this subtly affects uh, your own behavior too sure and a lot of attention is passively taken into the visual field there's very little lateral uh, communication. You know, right. There's there's no way we could we could turn around sideways and look at the same scene in front of us when we are on Zoom. Mm-hmm. We're, instead we're we're being scene to each other, right? So it's it's much more frontal, which is good for negotiation or business meeting, but it's not good for connecting on a on a, on a finer level.
1: Yeah, um, I, I I wanted to mention a uh, maybe what I'd call a counterexample or an example of uh, a different modality I, one of the things i've been doing with my shakuhachi teacher a uh, japanese bamboo flute teacher is doing zoom lessons and uh so in the past uh, normally you know he lives um you know like say 25 an hour yeah, on. an hour's drive away uh from mm-hmm. where we live so Normally, in the past, I would meet him twice a month in San Francisco for an hour lesson and then once a month in Richmond, California for a five-hour workshop with other students. And so even prior to the pandemic, uh, we set up the ability to do Zoom so that I could do lessons with him. And then uh, subsequently, when uh, we've been uh, sheltered in place, I've actually up that to like doing an hour lesson every day with him, um, hmm. almost every day, uh, uh, at least five, five, days, five, five, days. Five, five to seven times a week, depending. And in that case, this um, modality we were talking about where he's putting attention on me while I'm playing is specific and refined enough that uh, there's plenty of opportunity for me to not be paying attention in that because there's such a complex level of uh, nuance in terms of activation with my attention of muscles in my body and um, and it all comes out in the sound but his intuitive connection with me is such that the way he describes this is that his body uh, will tell him what my body is not doing so if I haven't tightened my butt, you know, at the uh, as I come off the uh, emphasis of a note and as the sound is diminishing, I'm supposed to be tightening the muscles of my butt, which it seems like a pretty uh, subtle micro movement. His butt will tell him when my butt doesn't do it. Over Zoom? Yeah, well, yeah, over Zoom. It's, it's a complete it's a, because we have that intuitive connection.
2: Yeah, but that's because you already have a connection <clears throat>
1: established before, and, and, right? that, and that's and that's it kind of the can... point. Yeah, he knows your body, right? Yeah, he knows my body. Uh, I don't know if I'd never met him before how that would work. Um, But because we have like 20 years of uh, association, Mm -hmm. we have the connection. And so suddenly the the, the Zoom medium works very efficiently. We we can't play together because of the nature of the uh, audio transmission. But Mm -hmm. he can listen to me play and he can watch me. And intuitively he can respond to what I'm doing. And in that sense, a uh, fairly subtle teaching can continue. Uh, that is that that modality though is a modality where there's a very specific thing that's being worked on too. You know, it's mm-hmm. like I, I'm playing, so there's a there's an in a sense an artifact that's very obvious, which is the quality of the sound, and he can hear that, and as an artist, he can respond to that as well. well that's as
2: encouraging. So su- is
1: su- su- intuition.
2: That's very encouraging. Yeah,
1: Yeah, uh, but the contrast that with what you're describing is when we speak about spiritual practice, uh, the subtlety of what constitutes getting it and the subtlety of what constitutes, you know, actually uh, becoming more nuanced in terms of the inner flow of associations and manifestation of subtle energy in one's uh, embodied form is harder to... Uh, a yeah. catch in the sense that it is to hear a sound and be able to respond to it.
2: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Then there's, there's, there's one more thing that I personally find, um, um, a kind of pressure, uh, which is that in this kind of, um, uh, environment, uh, the huge emphasis is on spoken words.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Right. So, um, even even if i remember correctly before the before the mobile cell phones you know
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh when when we only had landlines is that how you call them yeah yes. landlines. yeah i used to talk to some of my friends and we used to be silent on the phone for 30 seconds a minute like you know late night conversations long calls right but you don't do that on on video conferencing you can't you can't just look at each other for a minute or so i mean you could but you're kind of pressured to fill in the gap.
3: Uh, Well, I, I, yeah, I mean, I completely agree with that. And yet, you know, we're, we're of course doing with, with our students a weekly zoom meeting where we're actually doing meditation for the first half hour and then having discussion. But I mean, but I mean, during the conversation, I've deliberately let silence emerge Mm-hmm. I mean, I, you know, um, but that's not, a, that's not a normal
2: context for sure. No, you have to put it back in, right? You have, yes, to. <laughs> you have
3: to put it back in. That's,
2: that's, a, yeah. that's a good way to put it.
1: Well, exactly. I mean,
2: that's why I call it the pressure. You have to keep putting in pieces that would yeah. naturally just missed, right?
1: I'll also add that one of the meditation forms that we uh, use in our practice is a, a, a two-person meditation where you maintain eye contact And trying to do that on Zoom is fascinating because uh, you can, you know, with Zoom, you can pin the screen. If you have multiple people in a a Zoom session, you can pin the screen. So you can have two people that are effectively looking at each other, but the gaze is off because the camera angles don't work. And so you're (laughs) looking at someone's face, and and there's this attention that you're providing, but it has a qualitatively very different feel than actually having eye-to-eye contact.
2: Yeah, gazing is impossible because the camera is always a little bit up or sideways. Right, exactly. Right? Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah.
2: yeah. Well, that's funny, and uh, there's also one more thing which which uh, which you mentioned before, uh, having to do with spending time together, which is not conversational. The conversational mm-hmm. aspect of uh, mm-hmm. of a teaching relationship, it's more situational aspect, I would call it. You know, Mm -hmm. sharing activities, maybe working the garden together or going for walks or just having a meal or just sitting down to listen to some music together or just, you know, avoiding each other around the house. (laughs) (laughs) Very, very uh, astutely (laughs) put. Well, this is a specific situation I had with my own teacher. We we had a rough week once and we would basically avoid each other around the house. But... It it also created it. a way of, yeah, it also created a way of, of transmitting something, you know, of me, you know, giving something back and him also putting little hints of, of how we should, you know, basically exit this, this lockdown <laughs> situation, <Yeah. laughs> which, which, you know, all these normal human things don't happen when we, when we time limit. Right. Yeah, there's, there's this thing I wanted to mention, you know, when we when we plan to get online and meet and, and have a conversation, we put a time limit on it. Right. Yeah. So it, it's almost by default never ends too early or too late. So if, if we have an hour together, normally, maybe after 35, 40 minutes, we would go like, okay, talk to you tomorrow. Right. Or next week. Mm-hmm. But if, if we arrange an hour, then we try to fill it up, mm-hmm. uh, which I'm trying to avoid or, things might get interesting around minutes 59. Mm -hmm. But it's time to end, right? Because there's this other thing coming up. And I remember that there was, I can't remember who exactly it was. It it could have been, uh, who was it? One of the early fathers of psychotherapy, who would basically work with people for five minutes sometimes and Mm -hmm. say, okay, see you in two days. But he would then sit with other people for five hours. And he was basically, it was a French guy. I can't remember which of the French psychotherapists mm. or okay. psychoanalysts. But he was, he was, uh, was expulsed from the society of psychotherapy because he wouldn't agree on a standard format of the duration of a session, which I believe now is 15 minutes, something like that. And he would say, "How can you determine for how long you need to talk to someone?" Um, it's impossible, he says. I mean, because you even don't know what will happen when the conversation starts. It it may be flat and dry for 30, 40 minutes, and then just before you are supposed to finish, it may, you know, come to life, and then you would have a nice one hour. Uh, of Of you know creative constructive growing exchange but you know sorry ma'am, your time is up
3: i think that this is a this is a wonderful point and um uh, and i'm really glad you mentioned it because because i've i've felt uh, in the zoom sessions we've been doing um with our students um i have i have felt just that pressure that you're talking about. And 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 it is instilling in me the desire to to not be owned by that expectation. So that's one thing. But the second thing is I was remembering my own experience with my own teacher. And Stuart just mentioned that we have this one of our one of our meditative practices is a um, is uh, uh, basically establishing your your partner. Um, as an object of meditation and and mu- mutually done, so there were, early on in my first six months, there was a moment with my teacher when it was around midnight, and we were having a conversation, and suddenly his gaze locked on me, and I realized I'm, I need to respond in that in that way and the session ended up going for three hours till three in the morning. And it was one of the most productive meditations I've ever done because my mind was racing to find any way to get out of this incredibly uncomfortable situation. Yeah. And so, um, and so that's what was coming up for me when you when you were making this point about the expectation around time. And I'm really, uh, as I say, I'm really grateful for it because I don't want to be, I don't want to have to let the clock. Own what's going on, or or curtail what's going on, or insist that it continue longer than yeah. would but, be appropriate.
1: But is is this something that you see as an artifact so much of uh, like the the media that we use, or is this more oh, of no, an no, artifact no, no. of the? Yeah. This is this yeah. seems to be more the the modernity in the modern world we live in where
2: well it's it's the way in which we schedule the use of the media into our lives and our lives right. are already sequestered and scheduled in a to a high degree yeah
1: yeah but I, just like i was describing with uh my shakuhachi practice even driving down to see my teacher for a one-hour slot and there's you know i come in uh, you know someone else leaves so someone else comes in when i'm re- done you know it all had this kind of scheduled uh quality and it had a different flow than when we would do a five-hour workshop, because that chunk of time was uh, had less structure. and so then uh, my teacher could work with a variety of people together and take advantage of the fact that as any one person was doing something or receiving instruction, everyone was receiving instruction. And there was a with that larger time, all of a sudden there was more flow. Uh, and you know less uh, certainty about what was going to happen. So, so, yeah. but that even to be able to do that uh, required a, a commitment that was very strong. I guess what's coming up for me that I notice in myself in these things is that, and this this ties into what Rob was saying, is that for I noticed there's a lot of resistance. That comes up for me like i'll use shakuhachi as an example but it's it's the same is true with meditation and stuff it's like the factors in myself that don't want to have anything to do with this you know this this quality of effort and this quality of focused attention uh absolutely don't want to do like like the shakuhachi lesson and i usually schedule these you know like in the afternoon after i've already been in twelve hours of Zoom meetings or something like that, you know, for uh, for my professional work. And so the last thing I want to do is
2: Just more, right? Just yeah, more and so, <laughs> yeah, but
1: then because I make that appointment, I have to show up because yep. someone else is depending on me. And yep. then within fifteen minutes, that's all gone, you know, and, and we're and, and the the energetic flow is quite different. But I notice the same is true with. Um, uh, Meditation in general, you know, that oh, it's the last thing, you know, my ordinary mind wants to do. And so, the, I guess the point I'm uh, raising here is, it seems like this scheduling that we do, whether it's Zoom meetings or, you know, scheduling workshops or or, or going to, you know, or, or or scheduling a daily meditation, right. maybe. What it, what we don't <clears throat> get is this uh, uh, really. Unpredicted confrontation with the resistance in ourselves to avoid anything having to do with paying attention
2: Yeah, spirit refuses to be scheduled
1: <laughs> Yeah, and, and
2: so it, it, it has its own pace much slower yeah. and much faster than we like <laughs> uh,
3: Both and both of those are true slower and faster. Yeah,
2: yeah, you know what you were saying with 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 shakuhachi um, practice um, There's an element of the body right that yes, it just takes 10 or 15 minutes to warm up a uh, quote unquote, right? Um, it's not just warming up. It's also uh, shedding that armor that you would wear to do other things and mm-hmm. th- the armor, which stops you from playing properly. Right? So you've yes. you got to soft, soften that. And it takes, it takes a while, but because you have an established relationship with your teacher, as soon as you go into the Zoom, maybe a minute into it, you're already there where you stopped last time as, as far as the quality of the relationship is concerned, correct? Yes. yes. Yeah. So that that's a good thing. But uh it takes a while to build that kind of relationship which would allow you to continue the conversation or the performance of Shakuhachi in this in this case, uh where you you know, where you left less last time. Um and I'm not sure that can be developed just online.
1: Yeah. I think I think the yeah yeah I, I,
2: I I'm I'm positive that that online uh, interaction <clears> is 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 uh um uh, 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 is is a great expansion of an existing you know interactions, but I, I'm not sure it it works optimally well, on this, its own.
1: This body yeah this body connection is interesting. We have an experience of someone that years ago actually now this is good maybe fifteen years ago or or more. Uh, we connected with someone online who um lived in mauritius and oh, right. and we would uh exchange emails uh literally
3: on the opposite side of the if you yeah. if you drilled straight through the earth yeah. you'd come yeah. out pretty close <laughs> right. from california you'd come out pretty close to mauritius yeah and and well
2: that 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 would be in accordance with the so called morphic resonance
1: it, exactly exactly <laughs> so so but he he he'd seen something uh, one of us had written online and uh uh, he was interested in the fourth way, and he actually went on to put his ideas into a book, and uh, he he's a funny character, but we would have these <clears throat> interactions, and I think we may have even tried, although the technology was very poor at the time, some video conversations. But the quality of the relationship changed when we actually arranged to meet face-to-face, because he had a son who lived in Sydney, and... Yeah. He was visiting his son at a time when Rob and I decided to take a uh, vacation, you know, we, uh, to Australia. So that goes and halfway, right? Yeah, roughly. And so we both met uh, for not a long time. You know, we maybe had. Uh,
3: well, we were there. We were there in Sydney for a week, I think.
1: But so we probably met a couple of days. Oh uh, no, no, more than that. It yeah, was so, three or four days. But so we did. Four we days. did meditations together. We had conversations and things like that. And then subsequently, the 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 nature of the relationship uh, online and the electronic communication was very different once our bodies had been spatially yeah. co-located. Yeah. yeah. And that's why that's why this thing that you're describing with uh, working with someone that you haven't actually physically met it's so fascinating because i mean even you have the sense of inevitability that your bodies will be co-located at some point yeah sure sure but yeah, but co-located. what what will be interesting is does that is the quality of the relationship different after that or is it or is or have you just reached something that is um uh unique because of the unique individuals involved
2: yeah it's hard to, it's hard to say because we're also Different, um, and therefore the resultant uh, relationships are always, you know, slightly Mm -hmm. different, right? But I would expect that. I would expect that after such a long time, like five or six years, um, meeting in person would both fill many gaps and uh, destroy certain (laughs) expectations, right? (laughs) That makes sense. <laughs> yeah so there you know who knows maybe the relationship would end <laughs> <laughs> Hello
1: <laughs> <Goodbye>? <laughs> like I just realized I really don't like you <laughs>
2: <laughs> After five minutes
0: <laughs> I can
1: not to be in the same room with you
2: <laughs> yeah yeah, just kidding, but mm-hmm. but it, it it's a different it's a very different situation actually, yeah, so I guess we're just we're still learning how to how to manage this and it's not just because we're you know relatively late adopters that there wasn't such a technology when we were growing up right uh and um i also observe it with younger people today that if they are well well configured to deal with constant online interactions
0: mm-hmm.
2: they still find it you know extremely difficult to look face to face Mm. and to you know and to suffer silences uh, and to, well, that, know, without yeah without without grabbing the phone or whatever yeah um, yeah that's so, well that's that's really interesting
3: to me i'm I, I i i'm i'm curious about this um because i don't have a lot of experience lately with people a lot younger you know we we had we had a lot younger students a few years back, but at the the Mm -hmm. moment as, and in this, you know, zoom heavy in these zoom heavy lives that we're leading now. um, I don't, I don't have that sense of how, how it's different for, for someone in their twenties, for example, uh, to, to interact this way. So, so, so talk more about that because I think it's, um, I'm, I'm intrigued to, to you know any any hint of distinctions between people who are who maybe in their fifties or sixties or something like that
2: yeah, versus well, people
3: if, in their twenties.
2: Yeah, if if anything, people in their teens and twenties are over familiar with digital mm-hmm. interactions, mm-hmm. and therefore therefore um, um, more accustomed, but also also more able to avoid in person. Or minimize in-person or, or, or limit hmm. you know, in-person interactions,
0: huh.
3: because
2: there's more exposure you know digital is safer yeah uh, yes okay it's like it's like having a you know it's like having a huge uh what do you call it a cushion right yeah um, yeah it's like having a cu- huge cushion where so you have an, an
1: off switch you
2: have well, yeah. switch, you have a mute button. You you know you have this. You have that. You have asynchronous. <laughs> you have asynchronous messaging and emails where yeah, you, no. you you can pretend you didn't get the message and you don't need to answer it right away. Right? Wow. You can say, oh, I I just saw your message now, but I sent it two days ago. Well, the smartphone wasn't around or something. Right? You can't or a, or I scrolled
3: one. past it, or something like that. Oh yeah, or yeah. Or <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, yeah, you can always rely on those tricks. But if you learn to rely on those tricks, then uh, then. Uh, if you grew, your point is, if you grew up. Learning to regulate your
3: your interaction with other people in this way it's it's a different thing that's what I'm hearing you say right
2: yes if it's part of the formative period yeah yeah then 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 you then you grow up to think of direct interactions person to person physical interactions as 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 challenging and threatening and you know and (laughs) it's kind of always a little bit too much and over the top. Um, I see it because because I do my best to expose myself to uh, elementary and high school kids doing spell checks for them, you know, in the neighborhood here.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> so their parents send them over, you know, hey, we need uh, we need a spell check on their English test or something like that. And then I enjoy, you know, uh, having chats and and you know, kind of Yeah, and there's the initial initial reservation, but then even even when they even when they relax and become very comfortable and, and, you know, uh, they like me, I like them. And there's always a little bit of, um, weirdness about, you know, about Mm. just, just, you know, being casual and relaxed and something. And then I talk to them, I ask them and they honestly say that even with their own age group, you know, there's, there's, there's as little as possible, um, direct thing with, without an intermediary. There's always something going on. There's a music playing on a device. There is something they're talking about and across which they are basically talking, looking at something. So they don't need to look at each other situations like that. Yeah. So, well, it's probably deserving many studies and some studies have been done, but this is my just anecdotal experience of it. There is a, there is a felt difference in the, willingness and enjoyment of engaging other people and turning everything else off.
3: Well, well that last, that last phrase I think catches what what's intriguing me here about what you're saying, because uh, I I, I tuned into when you said um, that there's always something else going on. Their experience is that, you know, the TV's on or, or you're, you know you're overhearing another conversation that someone you know you see you see these pictures of of teenagers three of them sitting on a uh, on a long couch together next to each other and they may be texting each other but they're not actually turning to engage with each other oh, yeah. you know in the flesh and and so um i i think that sense of other of distractions is a way to um to try to experience the safety of not not risking anything or risking less in direct yeah there's this communion. thing that you
2: guys mentioned like with gazing for example right gazing mm-hmm. is just a an explicit and focused um aspect of something that's uh, mm-hmm. part and parcel of human interactions right right so you know another is a mirror always to yourself yeah so, you know they're 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 looking at you makes you makes you super self-aware Um, Of course, that's the initial contraction, right? Exactly (laughs) you you (laughs) hopefully learn to relax that but But that's what happens when someone is Continually looking at you. They're also feedbacking some of your own self-awareness at you So, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're not if you you can't relax with that then You do have a problem with with also being with yourself. It would seem right Yeah, Um, and
3: it's about it's about getting comfortable with realizing Oh my God! How many projections I unconsciously uh, put out put out onto other people and other situations and, and and so forth. So relaxing into that is a big part of that practice, actually.
2: And how and also how how compelling is the face I'm showing?
1: Yeah, mm. <laughs> exactly. And, and two exactly. things come up to me about this, and uh, the, you've mentioned one dimension, which is the power of, uh, avoidance of what I'd call uncomfortable, emotional, uh, mm-hmm. uh you know, emotional uncertainty, you know, because yeah. when you're open and silent with someone and there isn't anything mediating, uh, you're kind of in a, a free fall, which people in general like to get, get away from. But there's another aspect of this, which is the, uh, ways in which the modern technology tends to keep us out of our bodies and yep. so so younger people unless they're involved in sports uh younger people tend not to have as much uh keeping them in their bodies just because even even when I think about and I was not an athletic kid but I went out and played mm-hmm. outside you know because there was nothing else to do there wasn't TV to watch 24/7 uh there weren't video games. I went no out gadget. and played. Yeah. 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 And yeah. and, you know, rode a bicycle, walked, explored, you know, just I was interacting with nature and uh even for, you know an intellectual kid who uh, you know Rob would probably argue wasn't in his body very much, I was in my body more than what a modern child would be in.:
3: There's a projection yeah. right
1: there.
2: <laughs> But so maybe maybe you want to do that with me. He's sitting too close.
1: Yeah. So, but I, I wonder then if you you know if you look at the kids that you you associate with and uh, you know uh, in terms of gathering this kind of anecdotal data set do you find kids that have are more oriented towards sports oh that are different about this or is it just yeah out- that's
2: that's a that's a no-brainer in a way i used to i used to uh, uh give off freely offered um uh, trainings for there's a there's an a what do you call it like a sports complex little sports complex with, mm-hmm. with soccer and uh And um, uh, fitness and uh, all these kinds of things, right, right, maybe 500 yards from my home. Mm. And it's also like an activity center or something like that. And there are groups of kids there. And I used to offer twice a week, basic karate moves, you know, Um, for kids from, for kids from uh, six to 12. And that's a hell of an age. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, there's, there's some yeah. big differences so, there between the,
3: the, the top, yes, top yes, end and the what low they, end.
2: What they have in common is they're all monsters. <laughs> 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 they're absolute monsters. They're no longer little cute things. And they're still not someone you can threaten, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they're completely fearless, you know. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah. fearless, especially when it comes to attacking me. Which yeah. was the which was the last uh, last fifteen minutes of an hour of exercise was always everyone against me, and yeah. there was there was something like two dozen of them, <laughs> so, <laughs> and they were all swarm like an army, grabbing my leg, grabbing my arm, uh, chewing on my ear, you know, all <laughs> kinds of things. So yeah, definitely, if there is a body, you know, a, a body. Uh, uh, an activity and you know a a social organized uh uh flexibly structured interaction that is based on the bodily interactions right no words you can yell but you know we we used to you know uh punch and kick and yell and they would enjoy that very much and uh of course punching and kicking in the air you know but they they like the yelling part a lot Mm -hmm. and uh if it's if it's based in the body, then very quickly, even those kids which were timid or a little you know a little out of body or out of phase with the body, even them after a couple of weeks they start getting into it and becoming more assertive you know more responsive.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So it's it's definitely a therapy, but it's also a, it's also a sign of uh, how how basic and how essential this kind of physical interaction and physical expression is even to a generation that that has been uh, immersed in digital environments since age 2 upwards right so uh, there's there, there's hope but not without actually making sure these these kids get regular you know regular physical uh, not just exercise but but interaction and uh, Mm -hmm. learning how to push and pull each other without being afraid what will happen and finding the right measure and then also developing the ethics and the sense of justice where you can't be winning all the time just because you're the biggest one uh other will not play with you if you keep on winning constantly you know so they learn that very quickly Mm -hmm. and they they basically learn to be fair and you know to be balanced and to be you know to show solidarity and to maintain some kind of balance with the with the weaker ones and et cetera, et cetera. So there's a lot of that there and it's all learned through the body without instruction from me at all. You just put them in a situation and you say stop when when you see they're doing something wrong, but if they you know if they if they keep going within the parameters of some kind of safety, then they learn very quickly. So it's just a matter of making sure that every hour of digital gets gets one hour of physical
3: (laughs) this this is interesting to me because uh the other but the other point that uh that's coming up for me is is i think it's a it would be a feature or there are aspects that would make it a feature not a bug uh to use current lingo Uh um to have a range of ages interacting that is to say, an awful lot of, you know, when I was, when I was growing up, and I, I suspect in the United States, it's, it remains the same, is there's a lot of age stratigraphy,
0: mm-hmm. that is, yeah.
3: peers of the same age interact with each other, but they rarely interact with younger or significantly
2: younger or older. Oh, this was, this was not done by design. It was just, there, there were not enough of them to make three groups, say, right. Six, six to eight, but, nine, to, nine to eleven, and, that's, you know.
1: that's how education but, used to work in the uh, uh, the U.S. But, you know, yeah, the yeah but
2: there there are advantages to kids of different ages. Precise, that's and
1: that's precisely the
3: point I'm making. Is 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 that I think it, I think it's easier to develop. The kind of sense of fairness or equity that, for example, that you were mentioning,
1: with with all different, yeah. Yeah, but definitely. yeah, because you don't have, you're not in direct competition with uh, someone who's like three years younger than you. There's a uh, yeah. an objective case, a body case that uh, that uh, there's going to be a difference, and you have oh, to. Oh, make... the,
2: the the you know the big girls, you know, especially when I say big, I mean eleven-year-old girls. They like showing some generosity to small boys.
0: <laughs> 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 so they,
2: they, when they are physically and emotionally superior, then, you know, <laughs> and it's, then it's much fun for the small boys. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah.
3: Well, let me, let me I mean, let, let's, I'd like to switch back to, to your interaction with yeah. students that you were describing yeah. online. So um, I'm, just, I'm curious how many of the people that you're working with you have met in person, you know this important thing, and how many you haven't, and and how you might conceive. I mean, I'm sure it's all individual,
0: mm-hmm. um,
3: but um, I'm wondering if you notice any patterns with how how you how you structure your online teaching that, you, that you're restricted to at the moment, yeah. um, and and maybe frequently by circumstance in general anyway. If they're long, you know, geographically dis extremely distant How, if there are any patterns that, that, that you see or distinctions or distinctions yeah
2: yeah well there are there are definitely circumstantial factors that come into this if someone is from Italy we're a couple of hours drive away so it will mm-hmm. be easy to arrange a meeting right? right and I could I could even insist on it and and, and after a couple of months I would insist on it mm. or you know if it's one of the neighboring countries right then sure. if it's if it's, if it's a, second, uh, uh, a second circle of neighboring countries, it becomes a little bit more different. If it's across the pond, whether the pond is Atlantic or some other ocean, then it gets increasingly different. Sure. Uh, difficult, sorry. It, it right. gets increasingly difficult. But, however, as time goes you know, on, the pressure mounts, at least for me, mm-hmm. to make it happen. And to you know to get together. So I've had people from from mm-hmm. other continents coming regularly. If I didn't happen to travel to their part of the world, in which case we would then arrange some kind of Sydney uh, situation, as you yeah. guys described. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's 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 something that that I feel it may be my thing, right? It's it maybe it's not a universal law, but I somehow doubt it. I mean, I, I think that we have something inbuilt to make it happen to sooner or later get together and shake hands and or el- uh, touch elbows is that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> right
3: so that's that's how it was working now there's nothing neither uh, happening in the us but uh, but but for, well, for a short period of time the elbow touching was yeah. uh, was
2: very we are we are we are uh, we are tragic slavs here so we we insist on hugging even now <laughs> <laughs> okay. Got it. <laughs> but there was a there was another part of your uh, question. You 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 mentioned something about structuring. Uh, I I didn't get exactly what you were aiming at.
3: Well, um, I guess I'm still I'm musing on how how we how we play with. I mean, you mentioned earlier the 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 time const- the the projection yeah. of time constraint. That yeah. seems like a like a really interesting way eventually perhaps to play with how you would do this even though people's lives are very busy mm-hmm. um, um, I just I just have this recollection that um, uh, being willing to cut things off in some ways is even more may may even be more important than um, being willing okay. to extend a uh, a structured time period because because people can there there i can see reasons why people would would feel as if oh what did i do wrong how did i you know what this you know oh this guy is a, this guy's an asshole and you know and he had something more important to do than talk to me mm-hmm. i i all kinds of projections that
0: the that come right
3: yeah yeah and and you know, if you are in person, it might be a little easier to negotiate. But if you're not, then, um, then, it, then it gets tougher. And so, and the other thing that, that was coming up for me is, is, is this uh, difficult to pin down quality that you were mentioning, that when we're in the same room or in the same space uh, together, there uh, there's a there, there's some ineffable quality. There's a that sense. We access.
2: Yeah, yeah. A sense. you know how you know how you uh you feel the difference between one person entering the room and the different person entering yeah. the room? Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. And Absolutely. and you feel it right away, right? Right. There's a there's a volume to them, there's a quality to them, there's a way they move. Mm-hmm. Right, and there there there's something ineffable about them. It's not it's not ineffable in the mystical sense. It's ineffable mm-hmm. because because it's a subtle uh, summary of everything we feel around them, uh, of a total experience, right? Yes, and we we are very good at reading <clears throat> this. And people sometimes say that the impression you get of someone in first ten seconds is actually it's not wrong, usually, you know, unless. Unless you yourself are in terrible state, you know, so you can't trust your own senses,
0: right. Right.
2: Uh, or it's someone which who triggers uh, an association to something that you have problem with. In that case, you can't read them well. But otherwise, if it's a fairly unchallenging entry into your perimeter, the first ten seconds are extremely important, and in these ten seconds, you get exactly those kinds of things, and then they tend to go underground and continue as a low level signal which is covered by all the noise of explicit interaction but yeah. it's still there it's still there constantly. this is this is so important
1: yeah i mean, I mean but it's, it's making me think you know in the fourth way model there's a lot of focus on the three brains the body yeah. center the heart center and the mind center different traditions have that modality but the articulation in the uh, fourth way language is that these brains have completely different languages and they yeah. hardly ever talk to each other and uh you know ultimately the the point of practice in a body is to find alignment and communication mm-hmm. between these brains and so
2: well that's that's one definition of verticality
1: yeah uh, that's interesting. That that
2: connection, right? Oh yeah,
1: that, I, had, I was hmm. just fascinating because we we've been having <laughs> verticality
3: we, in the body, yeah. which then extends. Yeah, that's the interesting because we've
1: we've been having a lot of discussions lately about the horizontal versus the vertical uh, on the show and off the show, and and this uh, equation that you just made is uh, fascinating because it, it does it has a there's a very lived sense of uh, you know practices that align you practices that there's also
2: there's also the the, the phenomenon of the ascendant and the descendant aspect of it because the ascendant uh, aspect is is the manifestation of growing you are you you are biologically and socially you know pushed to go from body to heart to mind uh you know when you are one year old you're all body when you're three year old you're all uh heart and then five or six year old you're you're starting to be mind and therefore they send you to school right yeah so there's that growth but then spiritual uh you know the the lion's share of uh, introductory spiritual practice is reversing that uh, mm-hmm. and 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 going back from your from your mental you know space into the heart learning to trust your emotions but not believe them
0: mm-hmm.
2: and then also going the same way down to the body and that last step can take years of, of serious commitment to actually drop into the body and to you know to trust your uh pelvic floor <laughs> well uh, well
3: I, I'm intrigued by this because uh, you were just speaking a moment ago very articulately about about the the experience about the data we receive when someone walks into a room that we've mm-hmm. never met before and 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 um I think. You know, I I completely concur with everything you say about that. But um, uh, but to Stuart's point, it's like if we're if we don't have our own alignment, internal conversation between the three centers, if you will, um, more or less established, then we don't perhaps have access as thoroughly to the information that is present. It's true. You are to our senses when someone walks into the room. Yeah, Yeah. but I
2: did. Yeah, that's why I did mention two reservations about that. You know, if Mm -hmm. someone reminds you of something that you have problems with, you will see nothing. And secondly, as soon as the explicit conversation starts, the initial signal goes underground and becomes inaudible. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So. unless
3: unless you're doing a a, unless you're doing a practice where you are specifically put attention putting attention (laughs) on on what's being received (laughs) in you know in the fourth way language in each of these three centers
2: exactly yeah yeah. but but there's also a good good case to be made for uh, keeping company or spending time with people who are further along in this alignment with us Mm -hmm. because they do two things for us in a in a mirroring way they they model a possibility for us uh yes. that is there right and and they invite us to step into that possibility but also they expose almost <laughs> unavoidably our own <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah. our own uh, uh uh what what do you want to call it contractions lack of, yeah lack of interacting within with parts of our own selves right
1: yeah i i, I also i think there is a a function of uh, beyond just modeling which you know gives me inspiration i think there's a, a genuine magnetic uh, uh mm-hmm. effect where mm-hmm. we tend to come into more alignment when we're around someone who is already strongly aligned in terms of these which, centers which 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 need not feel comfortable or pleasant yeah particularly because of the factors you're describing because,
2: yeah as you align you expose yeah um, yeah, so it it can get really itchy. <laughs> yeah,
1: very well put, because that that's the quality actually of uh, being with uh, someone who's highly aligned is that it 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 feels you know kind of like your hair is all every follicle is standing out.
2: <laughs> You're looking around where the exit door is. Huh? Exactly, yeah, because yeah,
1: because uh, uh, and that's that, that kind of ties back to what we were saying earlier about um, you know. Uh, being so technologically mediated, we have lots of exit doors. Whereas, when you put yourself in a situation where you don't have an exit door, I was not all, uh, unlike what Rob was describing with uh, when he had a three-hour gazing Gaze. with his, uh, you know, our teacher. Um, that when you don't have that exit door, uh, then things can happen that defy the expectations of our mind.
2: Well, the. That there's probably a lot of learning about freeze, fight or flight there.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> Three We're, hour long, right? <laughs> and many levels of it, not just and, one. And, right?
3: many le- and many levels. But I'm also remembering, um, you know, our, our, our teacher was a big proponent of, of going to and hanging out with or, you know, experiencing other teachers. You know mm-hmm. the that 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 alignment. I guess, although that's yes. not the way he would put it. Uh, but but um, and I, I I remember even years into my own uh, uh, you know spiritual practice mm. how useful it was for me because I would just I would just feel so exposed in the presence. The, 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 another spiritual teacher. Because every spiritual teacher has a different energy, has a different strength and weakness. Yeah, they broadcast
2: different things and they, Ex- they create a different field, yeah, yeah.
3: Exactly. So so those different fields would, you know, I just remember feeling so incredibly uncomfortable when I would, do, when I would have that exposure. And um, even though it was entirely a projection of my own, you know, uh, fears of being seen, okay how in, in do you how ways. do you make
2: i'm sure you you have something to say about this <laughs> How do you differentiate between uncomfortable and um problematic well uh, uh, is, is that is that something you learn through it's a it's a good question what risking, and, risking I'm, and trusting
3: well yes i mean the the simple answer there is yes of course, okay. although the reason that um that there are spiritual teachers and spiritual schools, and that's that's a, a context where other people are, are are also learning to expose their own um, uncomfortable areas yeah. is that is that you want you want to do it in a way where you're not going to be uh damaged mm-hmm. and 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 so you look for a context um the company of someone who is aligned as we were saying before or the company of people who are striving to become aligned and have that as a as a common purpose and that's going to be a lot different than going back and visiting your parents and and or your or your siblings or your you know friends from childhood or or whoever it you know whatever group we we specify which may be um, equally uncomfortable, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I mean, but uncomfortable in different ways. Yeah,
2: in different ways.
3: So, actually. so, so you want to start off. It seems to me, um, and certainly this was my experience. You want to start off with people that you think you have some reason to trust, mean you mean well, even though they may. Some of them, you know, your fellow students. Maybe in the situation of only just learning to manage how not to be nasty to other people yeah. habitually yeah. so uh, without intending to but sure. um, but um, so that's I mean does that answer your question the, the question you were yes.
2: asking yes it does that, that, that 's initially a challenge for most people you know how, yeah. do, I, how, how do I start making that distinction because? culturally speaking that that distinction has been murked or
1: Mm, yeah i i mean i I, that distinction for me is 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 so gray uh i i don't I, i i can't i can't really it's hard for me to put definition on it because it's so situationally uh dependent i mean i would say ideally you know the 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 most sophisticated and nuanced expressions from my own teacher and what I see with other teachers is that they can provide discomfort with very little happening. Mm -hmm. Uh, But on the other hand, if you go to the other end of the equation with some of the uh, traditional tantric paths where, you know, uh, you're doing the moral equivalent of drinking blood from a skull in order to be really uncomfortable uh, when you're confronting boundaries, you have that have been the f- foundational boundaries in which you've constructed what is uh, you know, the order in your world. You know there's value in that as well. And but in a modern context, uh, you know pushing those boundaries uh, is is not so socially accepted. So is it a problem? I don't know. It kind of depends on what the, where the students coming from. And the, the there, is a,
2: there is a Japanese way of going about this, uh, taught me by my own teacher who said, well, I asked him, you know, how do you quickly learn about the qualities of a teacher?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, if you, you know, if you quote unquote like what you see, but, you know, you may be impressed, but you don't know for sure, right? Mm-hmm. So he says, well, you, you know, you hang out, you talk to senior students. He says, that's a good measure, right? Uh, and he had a point, you know, there's less, uh, there's less uh, sun-like uh, blinding quality, but they're still the same world, right? They're, or should be there, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I asked him, well, what if there are no senior students? Because we, <laughs> yeah, me and him, we were sitting alone. <laughs> and he said, well, then you talk to wife. <laughs>
3: I think this is this is this is really interesting, and I, and it's reminding me of you talk uh, to your wife.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
3: well, you talk to the people who ha- who habitually hang out with that person. Yeah, or, or, who, who, know and, them,
2: who know them at their worst and at their best.
3: Yeah, yeah or or at their most quotidian, their most day-to-day. Yeah, to that's day. what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry exactly. for my English. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, <laughs> believe me, a lot of Americans wouldn't know the word quotidian. I shouldn't have used it, but it came into my head. i
1: think going to have to bleep that out. <laughs> Right. You can't say that on the radio.
3: Yeah, can't say can't say words like that on the, on the radio. Anyway, okay, um, for American listeners, it means everyday. That's <laughs> right. Thank you. Very good. <laughs> and this is from our Cro- Croatian correspondent here.
1: <laughs> well, anyway, right. um but but the okay. point is so,
3: Yeah. Uh, the point is that, is that um I actually would do would do just that uh mostly talking to um talking to anybody i could but often it was it was a senior student and and you Mm -hmm. do it it is interesting how there can be a valence shared Mm -hmm. by by uh, a variety of people in the orbit of a teacher um even though they they absolutely manifest all their individual peculiarities
2: yeah the personalities are completely different but there's yeah. something that yeah there's something they share in common yeah. there's
3: something they share in common I think that's They're, really interesting I,
1: yeah I, I guess I'm 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 looking at that in my own you know exploration of senior students from other communities that we are uh, associated with and one thing I noticed uh, early on was it, it, it's kind of like what phase you catch them in because uh one community that we spent a lot of time with in a sense i kind of feel like i grew up spiritually with many of those members uh you know in sort of parallel tracks and that you know in earlier days they would have much more projection you know and Mm -hmm. uh uh you know about the nature of their teacher and so there wasn't like high information content to me about uh the actual objective nature of the teacher, but over yeah. time, you know, the, as they grew and as their commitment has deepened and their and their sort of consistency as a spiritual practitioner was established, I could recognize over time that the integrity of the situation, and yeah. and ultimately, so you're talking, yeah, you're talking about the maturation, right? Yeah, yeah, and and I guess what I maybe maybe uh, just to summarize what I'm saying is. I I couldn't tell by talking to the senior students I could only tell after like uh watching the senior students for 10 years <laughs> to really assess what the student teacher relationship was about and then, then I could then I could tell you very eloquently uh uh with a high degree of nuance um what was going on but typically in the early days <laughs> there's starry eyed yeah, projection
2: well, Yeah well fr- frankly there's no safe approach <laughs> <laughs> Exactly <laughs> every you know every one of these Methods of checking or rechecking or making sure, um, you know, it, it does something, but it has it has serious limitations. You know, yeah. eventually you're you're down to your own gut. And, yeah, and, so that... and and experience, and we do learn by making mistakes, right? And it's the mm-hmm. same in this regard. You know, I mean, yeah, it, so is, it is even it is. even if you're even if you're lucky, you know, and you 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 end up finding, uh, a, you know, a great teacher for yourself quite early on uh, mm-hmm. even if you're so lucky you you then may be not being completely aware how lucky you were had you not had previous failures you know or mistakes mm-hmm. or half solutions or things like that right so that there has to be some experience and and uh error you know to 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 account for even recognizing that okay this is this is different right
3: yeah I'm thinking, you know, we just uh, spoke with uh, someone who was, who spent 22 years with the uh, uh, spiritual teacher, Andrew Cohen, and Andrew Cohen has had some, uh, a big up and a great big down uh, as a, um, as a teacher. I don't know if you you know of his, of his work or anything, but, um, but our teacher uh, did some, did a few joint talks with him. Uh, um, and and earlier on, I was always ambivalent about the guy. Um, I met him sub- in London. Even. Ah, okay. So I met him well, in London. Yeah, years yeah. ago. Yeah. Okay. So so um, so after <laughs> the uh, excrement hit the revolving blade, mm-hmm. the um, uh, there were a, a bunch of people along the way fell away, and were quite embittered, but we just spoke to a guy who was with him for twenty two years for uh um, quite passionately and who um, stepped away who stepped away but but not because of any of the because of what was happening for him personally, it had nothing to do with all the controversy about who was you that, know,
2: was that before the rotating, uh, blade? Yeah. Or yeah.
3: After? Yeah. It's after, after, oh, I mean, after, after afterwards. he stepped away. Maybe, so he was around, he was around the rotating blade. I mean, actually, actually, I
1: actually, no, he, he stepped away before the the whole enlightened next thing, uh, cratered.
3: Oh, really? Okay. But, but I, I wasn't quite just, sure about the timing. Just before,
1: just before, but, it, but for him, it was, there was a clear moment where there was a choice and, you know, uh, his teacher was putting a demand on him and he knew at some deep level that a different demand was present for him. And, mm-hmm. and, and he said, at that moment I knew our contract was over. And, mm-hmm. and yet what's, what's remarkable is that he, as Rob said, uh, unlike many other senior students, there's no bitterness. There's no, there's no, um, uh, looking backwards uh, with, you know, negativity, it's just like,
2: Well, that, that, that reminds me of the story of, have you guys interviewed Terry Patton?
1: No, No, we haven't.
2: No. Well, yeah, he he was with, with Adidas uh, Samaraj, also known as Zafri John, right? Right. If there was ever a difficult and controversial guru person, you know, that's, that's one. And Terry has a, Terry's a friend, although being uh, you know, a senior to me by, by a couple of decades. Uh, he has a very, uh, very unique take on this because he has a simultaneously uh, completely pure gratitude relationship to his now uh, defunct uh, and uh, how do you say when someone is dead? Deceased. Uh, deceased. <laughs> 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 to, now, to his now deceased teacher. And on the other hand, he also has this part where he can clearly see what went wrong mm. and where it didn't work. And he claims he can't hold those two, uh, two perspectives simultaneously. Huh. That's interesting. Because, because a perspective where he says no and a perspective where it's basically unconditional devotion mm. are mutually mm. exclusive.
0: I guess and I can under, I, I guess
3: I can understand that because because, <clears throat> you know, I have not been a devotional person, and I know devotion. The, the quality of devotion is, or the quality of mature devotion is that there are there's nothing
2: held back. It seems to me. Well, it, it depends. You know, it depends if, if devotion is the is the uh, quality on which the whole spiritual edifice of mm, um, sure is 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 predicated. Mm-hmm. Or if devotion is one aspect of several, you know, where where <clears throat> where devotion does what uh, energetic effort, study,
0: mm-hmm. and
2: uh, deep meditation cannot do. Okay. Um, you know, that d- basically dissolve your uh, little projects and plans, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> which which with energy, meditation, and Study don't go just away. They they right. actually learn everything you learn and keep getting better and better and better at fooling you at each new subtle level.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, so you end up having a much a much crazier and more dangerous projects. Uh, than when you start, um, yeah. That's
3: that's a that's a point by the way that our 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 own teacher was very articulate about. He used to call it it was like an arms race you know, between the U.S. and the Soviet Union. Yeah, well,
2: you'll never understand it unless you did it. <laughs> 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 so, so, so that's that's where the devotion comes in. And, yeah, okay. Uh, it's, it's the most simple of practices, and mm-hmm. yet the most powerful in certain ways. But
0: mm-hmm.
2: if the whole e- spiritual edifice, you know, organizationally, methodologically, um, um, uh, logically, if you know, if that's the main logic principle of the whole path and the whole I relationship see. to the teacher and among the students, if that's the, as they say, the alpha and omega of a particular path, then you're in trouble almost certainly sooner or later.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, I, I appreciate your making, making that distinction because, because, you know, that's not, that's not, that was never yeah. what I was attracted to. Yeah. In fact, I was, uh, because of my Roman Catholic background, you could say I was anti-attracted
2: to it. You were you were vaccinated. <laughs> Mind your words, you were vaccinated, which is a good thing. <laughs> That's a good thing. Talking as a Catholic to a Catholic.
0: Okay.
3: <laughs> Fair enough.
2: You know, once in agency. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, so yeah, but, but, you know, it's... Catholic devotion is just a bit different, you know, because you don't, you don't, you don't take the priest as being the the locus where the deity resides. It's not the same as with the guru, Um, Mm -hmm. with the guru phenomenon, which comes primarily from India. And then, then it was copied in some other uh, Asian countries in more recent times. Uh, You know, in China, we have living Buddhas. In Mm -hmm. Japan, we have these new cults, uh, which arise, you know, every week. And oh, the, oh really
3: I I'm not as familiar with the situation in Japan really well,
2: there's, that's a, much... there's a host of new religions there yeah but oh. it's it's kind of decreasing I, now okay it's, it's decreasing now but do you remember the incident with the group called Aum Shinrikyo oh yeah yeah, and, yeah, yeah of
3: course yeah, yeah. yeah. For, well at yeah.
2: that time those were 80s and 90s right mm-hmm. and at at that time the number of these uh, crazy groups and cults was just astonishing yeah hmm okay and I, was, I, I, was,
3: I i i, I I knew there were a few, but I didn't realize it was as pervasive a phenomenon. Oh, as it was hundreds, 22. yeah,
2: and the, the, the number of these groups was uh, directly proportional to the ignorance of Japanese kids concerning the Heart Sutra. Hmm.
1: Huh, interesting. Wow. Well, I mean, I, I, if I were <laughs> to draw an analogy, uh, the, these these cults would be similar to so many. Independent uh, fundamentalist churches in the U.S., mm. where you get a charismatic preacher okay. and, who's got a particular interpretation uh-huh. of the Bible and uh, snake handlers, huh? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> snake handlers. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. Okay, well, thank you for. I mean, that's
3: that's <laughs> something I've had no visibility uh, on, and uh, so I appreciate your your pointing it but out. But you do
2: know you do know the Japanese society was heavily secular, right? post-Second World War. Yes,
0: yes.
2: And their government, basically, ever since is kind of what we would call a socialist government, uh, Mm -hmm. even though in their own definition of it. Uh, But the reason for that is to keep them away from the religious fervor. Which, which was seen oh. as the toxic element in the pre-Second World War. Yeah, right? in the, in the Imperial the ancient, Project. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 right. So they decided, they decided to back off from both Shinto and Buddhist basis of their culture and to at best treat it as a historical interest for tourists, you know, and uh, kind of, uh, you know, what we, what we in the West call these days Zen, you know, this is so Zen, right? Actually, that kind of using the word Zen was was also developed in Japan. A kind of a very superficial
0: mm-hmm. treatment
2: of an aesthetic, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, but uh, in recent years, there, there was you know first first with the uh, 70, Well, was it the 70s, right? The hippie, mm-hmm. the hippie mm-hmm. time. Yeah. You know, because they were so exposed to Western influences, a part of the Japanese society also copy you know copy-pasted that that time of spiritual movements. So they had, you know, they had an, they had an emergence of many new um, eclectic uh, Christian, Buddhist, uh, Taoist, tantric uh, all sorts of mixtures, mm-hmm. and uh, they also had some attempts to do some secular uh, version of Buddhism, uh, particularly the, uh, the the introspection practice developed there, uh, which basically is a form of meditation without Buddhism. Uh, and they have all those things developing through the seventies, eighties and culminating in the nineties. Now it's a, now it's a kind of a different time where the whole Japanese culture is turning around and thinking, okay, maybe we can no longer go on without the tradition. Right.
0: Well,
3: that's interesting. Cause we have a friend who's a, who's a, he, here in the U, U- S he was, I mean, he has an, a, an interesting background because, uh, you know, grew up in Chicago, the Chicago area, and became a student of a uh, Korean uh, Chogye Zen master, was uh, his, you know, uh, a monk, you know, full ordination monk for six years in that tradition. Now, he's for many years, he's been a, a Quaker, but he's become very interested in Shinto, such that he's actually there's a, there's a big Shinto <laughs> shrine near Seattle. United oh, I know stage. there is one. I have a
2: friend. I have a friend who went for some training there. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah.
1: So yeah. he went up there for and and they did a 70th birthday uh uh ritual for him. Right. Wow.
3: But he's he's in contact with them. He's fascinated by Shinto and stuff like that. And I'll have to say that, you know, uh, Stuart and I have been have spent a couple of weeks in Japan last year and the year before that. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he was doing his, uh, they were doing shakuhachi uh, concerts yeah. around the country. And I. Have, it seemed to me that, that there was every, every evidence that Shinto is hardly fading away. So no, 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 I, it's coming
2: back, yeah. I, I, yeah,
3: that's what, and that's, that's what you're saying. And, it, and that's yeah. interesting to me that they're, they're um, returning to some of their native Forms or that native form, at least.
2: Yeah, with all the challenges, what that means.
1: Yeah, <laughs> but it's it it hard to define, right?
2: <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just speaking about you know about the, the you know the problem that arose 100 years ago. Oh, oh so yeah. when, okay. when, okay. when well, was the last I, time that happened. You know? I mean,
1: uh, it's interesting because that I problem actually. that problem seemed to be partly the problem you get when the, the state and the and a religious movement or a spiritual Fused. movement fuse. Yeah, right. uh, that that's always an occasion for mischief. Um Yes. If, if, yes. if, if something is arising out of a, a need, and it doesn't fuse with the interest of the state, maybe maybe that would uh, be different. But it's hard to say. It's hard, you know. And these things kind of go back and forth, I guess, because the um, uh, it seemed like the in the Meiji period there was a kind of a forced. Separation or uh, the government tried to control the uh, Institutions well, of Buddhism and Shinto and separate. Yeah,
2: first first separated from Buddhism and yeah. and made sure to reduce the number of monks per, per monastery or per temple. Mm-hmm. But then after the 1945, there was also uh, the, the basically de facto uh, Abdication of the Emperor. Yeah. Who, yeah, you know, who was no longer a secular ruler who was who who has who was made less than the British Queen who yeah. had the Parliament, you know, uh, governing for her in Japan, you know, there's only so much an emperor can do other than appear from time to time and serve as a national symbol. Um, but that's all probably and um, Yeah, there's there's no more the the, you know, the matrix for making the, the religion in Japan dangerous again is gone. So I, I wouldn't worry about that. But the, what I'm worried more about is how interested the new generations will be in recapturing, relearning, and reowning, you know, their own uh, their mm. own cultural, which, because these are not just <clears throat> spiritual; these are these are deep cultural roots, right? Yeah. In Japan, because they, they are an island nation, um, they they have been in they have been living their own particular type of isolation for many many centuries. And so the development of their society, culture, and civilization was imbued with with the three or four major spiritual traditions that that they basically uh, experienced through many centuries, which were uh, the oldest one was Shintoism, but in a different way than today. It's institutionalized mm-hmm. pretty much and originally it was more shamanistic and more more uh more dispersed more uh uh, decentralized Mm -hmm. connected to you know connected to particular mountains or mountain streams or uh magical places so so local
3: commies essentially
2: local exactly and with a very strong role of women originally Mm -hmm. interesting as, as, as oracles for these commies Oh, really? Uh, yeah, who would, cha- who would channel the comments basically. Huh. And these women were basically gradually, as it was institutionalized, of course, men are much better at building institutions and literatures and monuments. So, <laughs> so these women were, were gradually, you know, uh, uh, drawn to periphery. Mm-hmm. And then after Shinto came the influences of Confucianism, which was very important in bureaucratic and political matters. Mm-hmm. Uh, because many Japanese um, uh, aristocracy, they actually went for education to China yeah. or or brought Chinese teachers to, to Japan. Right. Uh, then with Confucianism later came also some Taoism and even later Buddhism. Uh, so these four, you know, Shinto, Buddhist, Taoist and Confucian, these four influences are... Basically, creating this unique uh, Japanese uh, uh, cultural and spiritual sensitivity when it comes to
3: yeah, that's that's interesting because I I actually had I, I mean three of those four I was I've been familiar with the yeah. the you know um, uh, indigenous Shintoism mm-hmm. um, in its earlier manifestation as you point out yeah, Fushanism, um and Buddhism, but I hadn't really uh, had a sense that Taoism had a big part to Oh, it play. faded,
2: yeah, it faded by the, it faded by the mid, mid, uh, mid middle ages when the samurai took over. Taoism okay. faded, okay. But for example, when, when Kukai, the, the founder of Shingon School in Japan, was, mm-hmm. uh, before he came to China, so before he was exposed to Chinese training and Chinese culture while staying there for a couple of years, Mm-hmm. Uh, his trip was similar like Dogen's later, four, four centuries later, Dogen of both mm-hmm. right? them, yeah. right? So, uh, so he wrote the text when he, when he was educated in Japan. He wrote text, His first text was called comparing the, uh, comparing the Goals of the Three Teachings. And the three teachings he compared, none of them is Shinto. He compares Confucianism, Taoism, and Buddhism yeah okay yeah and that's and that's uh in the that's in the eighth to early ninth century yeah oh so later taoism faded from the you know but actually it got integrated into some other some other approaches in particular to the to the Dao discipline the aesthetic and martial arts discipline Hmm. yeah that's where taoism was integrated mostly not so much in philosophical or or you know uh explicitly spiritual things
1: Yeah, so so to the question that you raised today about the degree to which the Japanese, uh, particularly younger Japanese, would realign themselves with these traditional roots, uh, a question I have is, to what extent does uh, modernism in the form, you know, one of the things that's unique in the modern era is that Japan is no longer disconnected from the world. It's no longer quite an island because of the, Uh, communication media influence of cultural artifacts from uh, different locations. And though there's a very particular, I don't know, Japanese, you know, cultural sort of move or position that people have. I wonder Mm -hmm. with respect to these older traditions, to what extent modernity is sort of washing some of that away.
2: Yeah, well, it's, it's difficult to say, but if you, if you look at the example of South Korea, what's the main religion there?
1: Yeah, I'd say probably uh, the Christianity is sort of growing. Uh, that's that's yeah. the, uh, the big growth religion.
2: forms, I think,
1: right?
2: Yeah. They have their own strains, if we want to use the current uh, mm-hmm. nomenclature. <laughs> 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 they have their sure. own strains of baptism. Uh, domestically developed and morphed
1: and uh,
2: accommodated to the uh, to the uh, last host. Yes,
1: yes, <laughs> they, they have spikes that are uniquely uh, have yeah, a unique affiliation to, be... <laughs> to the uh, receptors in the host.
2: <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, but I would say that in the modern times, if you want to if you want to uh, reclaim something from the past, just as if you want to transmit something horizontally from a different parts of the world, <laughs> you have to be much more aggressive than before. And I'm not sure that, that then you can have a, a good result. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting comment. So, I mean, so we, 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 we're talking about scale, right? We're not talking about you, me, and a couple
1: of friends. We're talking right, about right, scale. Right, 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 scale, sure. exactly. I, I think mean, you
2: have to be very aggressive. And then I doubt that the result can be...
1: Well, I mean... Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, sokogakai uh, uh, the the what you might call evangelical form of Buddhism uh, is certainly aggressive not not I, 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 they 've been pretty successful and
2: well are, aren 't they the largest group in north America yeah yes.
1: I think they're the largest yes. Buddhist group in North America I mean North yeah. American people in the Zen communities like to think of Zen as the as, as American no, Buddhism no, but no, no, no. it's it 's uh, sokogakai by uh, long uh, shop, I think. Well,
2: all you have to do is look at which kind of Buddhism is ignored by all Buddhist magazines in North America. That
0: right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's
3: a good point. But you know, you were making me think of uh, just in the last few years, I mean, I see it in our bookstore, but I also see it in other manifestations is a, is a kind of uh, resurgence of interest in like Norse religion, N O R S E.
2: We have the same thing in Russia with with uh, with Sl- oh, the old Slavic religion. Oh you know? really? Oh, I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah, there's a resurgence there too, and it's well in Russia. It's of course more connected to the to the newfound national pride, right? Uh, which may or may not have a ba- basis <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. so I say that as a Russian, I say this as a Russian friend and a student of a Russian for many years yeah so so uh, there may or not not may be a good foundation for the new prize, <clears throat> but in the Nordic case, it's also somewhat connected to the north european uh, right wing tendency uh, yesac
3: exa- exactly and 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 when I see and when I've had people come into our our bookstore. Who are asking for information? Um, I, uh, you know, I, I do get a flavor with some of them, but not all of them, that there is a kind of right wing. Uh, they want, they want, they want to stoke a right wing, right wing fervor in themselves, and that's what they see as
2: a, as an avenue to do that. Well, there's there's no better way of giving uh, dignity and respectability to a useless political project than tying it with uh, you know with, uh, with
0: with an ancient religion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah,
2: well, it's, it,
1: it, I I mean, Good point. The, there is an interesting element to this, which is that it's a it's a form of ethnic identity uh, that mm-hmm. you know where I don't have to do. I don't have to do anything to establish my identity. It's just that yep. by virtue of my <clears throat> ethnic heritage, I align myself with a energetic uh, uh, identity that gives me a, a sense of uh, place, purpose, uh, uh, you know, pride. And that can be a very powerful thing, because particularly getting back to the modern world, so much of that has been degraded. And... Well,
2: yeah that's that's like religion without conversion right yeah. if, if mm. by conversion we mean the the internal,
1: uh, you know, the yeah, internal yeah, yeah. but i've I've certainly seen in the uh, pagan side of the spiritual practice and and the, the magical side there's often a interest in Going back to, you know, if you're, if you've got Scandinavian heritage, going back to uh, uh, Norse gods or uh, uh, North uh, Norse imagery, if you're, uh, you know, Scottish or, uh, you know, Irish or uh, British, then to, mm-hmm. uh, or Scottish and Irish, in particular, Celtic imagery, and people can find these, these, these iconic forms that they, that were kind of uh, eliminated under the uh, mandate of uh, Christendom, and they're trying to reconnect with something. Uh, what that something well, is is uh, an interesting question.
2: I understand the hunger. Uh,
1: yeah,
2: definitely. You know the the hunger for something that was that was not man-made. Uh, hmm. Something that was here before us. You know something that, you know, or re- reconnecting to the to the uh, depth of one's ancestry. Uh, that's also something that's missing in, in a time where most people don't even know they're both parents or something like Mm -hmm. that or or maybe they have both parents but they don't know them well they they barely see them as they grow up or something like that so yeah that's understandable um we used to grow you know until fairly recently we used to grow up at least three generations in one in one household yeah right? right for a while right and you would take care of the Generation that is on the exit, which would be number four, as you would receive new newborn. You know, with, so you you would have three functioning generations, but you would have actually four, uh, one leaving and one coming in, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I have the benefit of you know sitting on the lap of my great-grandmother, uh, so that will be four generations, right? right Me, right. my parents, their parents, and then great-grandparents. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't think many people have that these days, you know, uh-huh. because of the movement, uh, you know, and and going from city to city, from state to state, from country to country, because of because of just the structures of the family are no longer what they used yeah. to be. So I understand the the you know the need in so many people to try and reclaim some of that sense of belonging and being. Being part of something that that isn't just you know uh, yesterday and then by tomorrow it's gone.
0: This is a, this is
3: a really interesting uh, uh, point I think because uh, um, I think I think some you know what what you're pointing to a moment ago um, uh, this sense of trying to fill something that's uh, fill a void in oneself mm-hmm. um, that used to be um nourished by the by the connection the sense of connection uh, to ancestors that you're referring to um in what, in whatever way you conceive of them um uh, is is often now filled by the ideology of ethnicity yes. I think yes. and um as an archaeologist uh, one of the things that most surprised me Is that you know recent scholarship about the articulation of how the Roman Empire um, uh, uh, basically established relationships with people adjacent to the empire but not incorporated, and even and even groups that were in the empire Mm -hmm. that were not. You know, originally, Latin, you know, Latin or, or Roman, or, yeah, yeah, or Roman, yeah, yeah. Um, was that was that our projections about how those were um, ethnically based would have been incomprehensible to those peoples at the time? That is the rhetoric of ethnicity that we're familiar with.
2: From the twentieth no. and twentieth? It simply
3: no. didn't exist. No, it's no. not that there wasn't a sense of a, a realization of difference and, and and differentiation, but but the but the but the rhetoric around ethnicity was entirely different. And so and so now the phenomenon you're talking about
0: mm-hmm.
3: seems to me is is the rhetoric of ethnicity being deployed for at least somewhat new purposes to fill oh. to fill a gap. And I think that's a that's an interesting in some ways dangerous um, but an interesting phenomenon
1: i mean it's dangerous in the sense that any any externality that's used to fill this psychic sense of disconnection is uh, problematic because uh, the (laughs) solution is what we were talking about in the first hour (laughs) which is you're aligning yourself uh, with something that's intrinsically within yourself your body your heart your mind and that there's a that that void gets filled and that sense of meaning arises when we come into that kind of alignment, and that's what spiritual yeah. practice in its proper form uh, uh, cultivates. But if I have a, a yearning and a, an emptiness, and I reach for some something outside of myself to fill that, well, that, that can never end well.
2: There's something
1: scary lurking from
2: inside. You know, when you when you start when you start looking deeper. Something, you know, something uh, regular folks who who don't even, you know, who don't even have a notion of practice, what do you mean practice, right? Mm -hmm. Who may or may not have a church they belong to or a community they are supported by and, you know, they pay back their dues and contribute themselves. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: You know, if that's the, you know, and then there's the family, yeah. Then there's the family. And... Uh, for for many many people that's that 's where they find their vitality that 's yeah. where they find their their uh, you know perimeter of uh, keeping the wolves away mm. that 's their perimeter now but with 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 spiritual practice or specifically with mystical practice uh, to you know to to just uh, to just exclude certain kinds of Spirituality that are more more consoling and more uh, more protective. Um, mm-hmm. With mystical practice, one quickly abandons the village, or mm-hmm. or is, is invited yeah. to to abandon the village, to leave the village and enter the wilderness. You know, to, to rely on one's own self. And when you do that, usually the first night you sleep out of your hut and away from other human voices, you experience fear. Mm-hmm terrifying fear yeah
1: um,
2: um uh, mind numbing fear paralyzing fear um destabilizing fear terror panic um if you don't then you're 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 basically resisting <laughs> something you better deal with as early as possible mm-hmm. so it's, it's 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 terrible fear it's a relationship that well some people think of it as a relationship mm-hmm. to to the dead basically mm-hmm. or uh to to a world that very soon would like have a piece of you uh, through illness, (laughs) old age or death itself. Right. And dealing with that, there's again, there's a vertical and there's a horizontal relationship to that. And dealing with that vertically is one thing, uh, basically going deeper and deeper as Orpheus would have it visiting the underground, right. Mm. Would be the metaphor, but the horizontal way of dealing with that is creating a support, you know, support community structure around you that is itself embedded in time. Yeah. Okay. Right. And 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 having kids, which then give you a give you an extension at least. You know, in terms of existing uh, borrowed existence, but but extended into the future. Right. And and that's the horizontal solution. Without that, you ninety know, x uh, percent of people don't have anything to fall back right. on when things get difficult um so so yeah it's it's a very uh it's a very um pervasive problem that modernity has created everywhere where it has reached you know in, in very oh. different uh social and political systems whether you think of china oh. or or sweden or canada or right. whatever you know it's it's, it's right there yeah. and it's, it's sitting and looking back at you when you turn your TV off
1: yeah Well, which um, is why most
3: people don't turn their TVs on. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Very good point. (laughs)
1: Well, we we are. here about uh just a couple minutes before the uh, end of our scheduled time here
3: <laughs>
2: and we, we
1: haven't we haven't even touched guess, right.
3: well, well well we've just was... we've just gotten to the point
1: yeah <laughs> ask, interesting material i was going to ask you about your uh, spiritual perspective on the pandemic but <laughs> i guess, I guess I was, we can't fit that into four minutes so <laughs>
2: around the world in two hours. And yeah, around the a... world in two hours.
1: Yeah. Uh, we, yeah. we, we, uh, it's clearly been uh, far too long since we uh, last had a, a conversation with you. So uh,
3: so 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 hopefully we can uh, engage with you again sooner and 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 uh, leap off from the point where we're ending here, which is well, uh, which is really interesting. I'll yeah. gladly
2: do that. I find that you know it's not just enjoyable but the, the very uh, nourishing uh
3: talk to you guys thank you thank thank (laughs) you thank you 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 uh, know i i (laughs) likewise i'll just say likewise
1: you have been listening to the mystical positivist this is your host stuart goodnick this week on the show we featured a pre-recorded conversation with hokai diego sobel hokai is an instructor in the shingon esoteric tradition of japanese vajrayana who studied under the private tutelage of Ajari Jomyo Tanaka. In 1999, he founded the Mandala Society of Croatia. Since 2012, he has focused on mentoring individuals to deepen their practice in the context of their lives. Those who pray learn to meditate, and those who meditate learn to pray. Next on The Mystical Positivist, we feature a pre-recorded conversation with Richard Whitaker. Richard Whitaker is the co-founder with Rua Harrison of the nonprofit Society for the Recognition of Art and founding editor in 1998 of the magazine Works and Conversations. Earlier, he founded The Secret Alameda, published from 1990 to 1996. He is also the West Coast editor of Parabola magazine. Although Whittaker has a background in philosophy and clinical psychology and has done graduate work at the graduate theological union in Berkeley, his connections with art go back over 40 years, including photography, ceramics, painting, and sculpture. In answer to the question of why he started an art magazine, Richard says, quote, A central motivation was my dismay at what I found missing in the art world as I began exploring it in 1980, before I'd simply done art on my own. Nowhere did I find any resonance in the writing of the critics and art theorists for what Bruce Nauman expressed with considerable ambivalence in an early piece the true artist helps the world by expressing mystic truths. Such an elevated thought could not be taken seriously in 1980. In 1967, the ground for such a proclamation was already very shaky. Was it a joke? And yet my own experiences in the face of beauty, especially of light, were such that I felt compelled to find a way of honoring them. Surely the experience of the presence of the numinous had not gotten old. It had only gone missing somehow. What I found lacking in art-world discourse was not difficult to find when I turned to artists themselves. A common understanding was often near at hand, and here was the material I wanted to help get into circulation through the public space of a magazine. Since then, my focus has widened to include broader examples of the transformative power of creativity used in the service of a greater good— This possibility is not limited to artists. A.K. Kumaraswamy's formulation, taken from his study of traditional societies, puts it well. The artist is not a special person, but each person is a special kind of artist. Tune in for that show on Saturday, May 30th from 4 to 6 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time. Thank you for joining us once again for The Mystical Positivist. Podcasts of all our shows can be found at www.mysticalpositivist.blogspot.com as well as commentary and discussion of topics of interest to the show. Also, please send comments and feedback to mysticalpositivist at gmail.com and join us again next Saturday.